Hey everyone, this is Gary Kay, and welcome to my Rants and Raves video cast today. I have a very, very special guest, and I'm, you've actually probably heard his name, seen his name on stuff before, and maybe not had a chance to meet him. Dan Dugan, the CEO of Dan Dugan Sound Design. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Gary. Um, first off, uh, the reason why I wanted you to join me today is in addition to going over a little bit of history in the industry, which you have an enormous amount in that brain of yours, I want to congratulate you because you're uh, in two days, you're going to be given an Emmy Award. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. You're, you're very um, humble. Let me tell you, you're, you're one of the, I, when I posted about this on LinkedIn, you're, I posted that you're one of the nicest guys in the industry. No one ever has anything bad to say about you and everyone is sort of in awe of you and what you've done. What did you get an Emmy Award for? Um, gosh, I don't remember the exact words, but it's for uh, you know the contribution to the technology of television, basically. Yeah, and so go back and talk about your contributions to television because you've been in this industry for what, 50 years? Uh, I've been in business for 50 years, yeah. Yeah, so talk about sort of what your contributions have been. I mean, what was it like to be in the AV industry 50 years ago? What was your job? What were you doing? Well, 50 years ago, I wasn't in the AV industry. I, I started out in theater. Mm -hmm. uh, my first career was as a theatrical lighting designer, which was what I always wanted to do as a kid, and I started doing it. Uh, when I was a kid and um, then I did in college and liked it so much that I dropped out of college and just worked in the college theater for four years and then when I would have graduated I started getting professional jobs so it was like uh, you know like graduating except I didn't get a degree I just started to get credits and there's a lot of famous people uh, over the years that have dropped out of college and done better than if it would have stayed in college. I think one of the most famous that I ever read was probably uh, Steve Jobs's case. And he learned font design by just hanging around in classes at Reed, uh, Reed College that were all about calligraphy. You were at the uh, University of San Francisco, if I recall reading your That's bio right. properly years ago. And um, you proudly say uh, that you dropped out of college. And I think it's interesting so talk about, so, so you got into theater and you, you're in lighting design and what brought the love of audio or sort of how did you transition from lighting to audio? Well, being the technical guy, I also did audio along with uh, the lighting. So uh, I did uh, sound for the uh, productions of the, uh, the college players there at the university along with doing the lighting. So I was doing sound kind of from the beginning I mean, in, in grammar school, I was the kid that set up the movie projector, you know, and this kid who got up on the ladder and adjusted the lights and uh, pointed the speakers in the right direction and stuff like that. So I was always doing AV, uh, though I was specializing in theater lighting. But um, I also, I think one of my first professional jobs, um, I did sound at the, uh, at the San Diego uh, Shakespeare Festival at the Old Globe in 64. Uh, I think that was my first uh, big paid sound job. And then for, for many years, I did both lighting and sound. And then um, after I got drafted in 65 and um, came back from the army in 67, 
uh, went to uh, ACT in San Francisco. Because um, if you work in one repertory theater and you go to another one, uh, you'll know several people there. Yeah. You know, people circulate through that. And um, so they didn't need a lighting designer, but they needed uh, somebody to do sound. So that's when I started to do theatrical sound full time was in 67 in San Francisco. And, and so where, when did the light bulb go off or you have an epiphany that, hey, I can make this sound better and I can build stuff that is better than what we're using today? Or so how did you get into the manufacturing side of things? Well, um, there, I always was seeing needs for gear that didn't exist. And um, I built a uh, special console for the for ACT. Um, which allowed three stereo tape decks to be uh, uh, to be played back, with, you know, with cues and distributed over a field of ten loudspeakers. And uh, there wasn't anything that you know that would do that. Consoles were all based on taking a whole lot of inputs and turning them down to a, a small number of outputs. Whereas in theater performance, it's the other way around. You have a small number of inputs being distributed to a large number of outputs, at least for you know for sound design. Uh, for drama. And uh, so I, I built the first sort of three scene preset board for uh, for sound uh, there. And I don't know if you've heard of Richmond Sound Design, but that's a, uh, another inventor in Canada. And he took that idea and uh, turned it into an actual manufactured product. And did, did he did he name the product after you back then, or did you get credit for it? Did you make any royalties on it, or how did that work? No, no, I didn't. Uh, he he did it his way, and that was and that was fine because I wasn't into manufacturing then. But um, in '68, I talked my way into doing sound for hair when uh, a local regional company of hair was founded in, in San Francisco. It was hosted by ACT, and. Um, I wasn't able to do sound for that, but I talked to the management and they were they were founding a couple times a year, they would open another regional company of hair. And so I got hired to do the sound design for Chicago. And um, that was my first uh, big, you know, professional musical job. And um, on that and the next two, I think I did uh, Las Vegas and Toronto productions of Hair, the you know the American tribal love rock musical, mm -hmm. and um, that had I think thirty four microphones, which in sixty eight was a lot of microphones, and uh, that was bigger than rock and roll shows in nineteen sixty eight, and uh, um, uh, it was difficult to run because there were no packaged consoles. Uh, consoles came soon after. But uh, in those days, consoles were hand built by the chief engineer of a radio station or a recording studio or a television station. So uh, hair was run on a rack of rotary knob mixers. Mm -hmm. And the guy had to mix these 33 microphones, 34, I think. And there was nothing except a volume control for each microphone. You know, there was no EQ, no sense, mm -hmm. no nothing. <laughs> And that was, you know, that was how we operated. And the problems of dealing with that made me think that there must be some better way to deal with a whole lot of microphones. So that was the, the problem that, that I set myself to solve. 
and the first product you designed was what? What was it? Was it a console then that that, that allowed for that number of microphones, uh, or what was it? No, I, I worked for about six years, and I tried various different things and and got something that that worked. Uh, surprised myself, actually. I didn't sort of design it. I sort of discovered it. And um, so um, got patents and then started walking around the AES shows uh, trying to find a manufacturer to license. And um, that was quite difficult, even though the thing seemed to me to be better than sliced bread, you know. Um, <laughs> not invented here was a very strong principle yeah. and I went to 10 manufacturers I went to Shure first because I loved their little their little mixers that had they just had everything you wanted they could be oh they could be battery operated they had a micro line output switch you know they were designed for flexibility and they, and they did everything and I, I really admired that engineering and actually the guys who uh we're working on developing those products back in those days. Uh, are, this is the 70s now. Um, uh, split off and formed sound devices, which are now a licensee of mine. Um, but I digress. Um, anyway, so uh, I built a, uh, a mixer and started manufacturing my own. And it was just a basic mixer with, you know, with eight inputs eight knobs kind of for the church closet sort of thing or for a conference room. And I built the first 10 on the kitchen table and, uh, and sold them. And um, then I started manufacturing with printed circuit boards and everything at um, um, Orban Engineering uh, here, in, here in town in San Francisco. Orban was in San Francisco at the time. And um, Orban was my manufacturing contractor for what was eventually a run of 60 units of that automatic mixer. And uh, it sort of worked, it, it worked okay. The technology at the time was, was quite crude. Uh, the VCA was a, an LED LDR, which is a little can with uh, an LED shining on a cadmium sulfide cell. And that was the gain, gain control. And it was sort of logarithmic, so it sort of worked, um, but it wasn't very accurate, but it did work and it was the only thing on the market. So um, the 10th manufacturer that I went to uh, was Altec. And the reason they were so low on, you know, they were big green, they were the general motors of, of yeah, audio, yeah. Uh, you know, big installation stuff and, and a lot of movie theaters, stuff like that. And, um, so they licensed it and started making it and uh, they did well with it. It was one of their fourth best selling products for 15 years uh, wow. within the top four. And uh, so I, you know, I got royalties on it and uh, was able to put my kids in private school and you know, put them through elementary school. Um, and, um, you know, didn't get rich, but it was good. And so but it was also limiting because they have no vision at all about what this process could do. They basically made a simple church closet mixer. Right. And over the years, they made four different versions, which worked better and better. 
the last one was almost good enough that I would have put my name on it, except they didn't want to have my name. In it. Um, and um, so I was kind of happy when the contract expired, uh, when the patent expired, the contract expired, and then I wasn't making any money, so I was free to do something with it. And so I spent a couple of years uh, making a production version of an automatic mixing controller, which was my Model D, which is a big, hot analog computing box. Mm -hmm. And um, the Model D was the first professional Dugan automatic mixer. And that's the one that was used by the early adopters, like the, uh, the Letterman Show and uh, Hollywood Squares uh, and things like that. And it, you know, it just gradually built over the years that the Model D was very expensive. It was $12,500 for eight channels. And wow. it was a big, heavy, hot analog I was going to say, probably hot, right? I mean, it was probably hot to the touch. Yeah. You had to have a yeah. fan in the rack just to keep it cooled. Oh, it didn't have a rack, but it needed a fan near it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so um, I sold about one a month of those for a number of years. And then when uh, DSP processors, processors were becoming common, I thought, well, this really wants to be a digital process. And so then again, I spent a couple of years uh, looking for um, a manufacturer that I could license to do the digital version and didn't find one. So again, I had to go myself and I found a, a very good uh, contractor, a company called BBI Engineering here in San Francisco actually just a quarter mile away from my shop here, who had all the skills and the expertise to turn it into a really fine digital product. And so uh, that's where it really started having this sort of, well, not a mass market, but. <laughs> yeah. What year is this now? What year was that? Oh gosh, uh, this is nineties now. Okay. So you had yeah. the first digital, your first digital product was in the 90s, which is pretty amazing because most people at that time are use, still using discrete circuitry and analog technology for the most part, correct? Well, yeah, and I may be wrong on that. Like I really have got the date in my mind. <laughs> I, could, I could look it up. <laughs> now I heard a rumor, I heard a rumor that, that your first automatic mixer was in the original Bell Labs conference room. Uh, which became AT&T when they were broken up and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? Is that you're the first um, automatic? Yeah, let me actually, let me get something. Excellent. I love this. This is a, this great interview. We're talking to Dan Dugan. I'll put a link into his LinkedIn profile in uh, in the description of this pod, in the description of this video cast, but he's the CEO right now of Dan Dugan Sound Design. His name is on dozens, if not hundreds, of different models of products uh, in our industry over the years. Look at that. There you go. <laughs> okay. Is. So this is the one that this is the one that I built. Uh, the knobs are missing. This was returned from somebody that you know had junked it. Yeah. Um, but th this is the uh, I call it the Model A. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing about this is this is one of the first ten that was built without a PC board. Yeah. So I don't know if you can see, yeah. I'm not sure how close I can get, but yeah, it's, it's hand-built electronics. There's no, uh, uh, there's no PC board. It's on yeah. what's called perf board. Uh, and so it's, it's actually built as a breadboard. And I actually sold 10 of these built as breadboards. <laughs> 
before I got into printed circuit yeah. manufacturing. You know, and when the I very first, first one. Go ahead. Yeah. The very first one. Yeah, the very first one went into the um, conference room at Bell Labs. Yeah, somebody who yeah. wanted to support me, uh, and that was that was really nice. Yeah, and when when I first saw your name was that font that is on the front of that because I always thought that reminded me of the TV show Logan's Run uh, when I was uh -huh. a kid. It had that futuristic kind of look, uh, Steve Austin, Million Dollar Man kind of futuristic look. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it was and, cyber. <laughs> yeah, cyber, whatever. Yeah, it had that kind of look to it. And, you know, it's interesting um, over the years. So you kept supplying Hollywood as you would come out with new products and new uh, technology. They found a way to use it and integrate it, not just on the live shows that you mentioned, but also on the sets of many shows, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the market for the automatic mixers was kind of half broadcasting. Uh, all television, uh, radio has never gotten interested, um, and half uh, staging companies, companies that do events, you know, mm -hmm. conferences, uh, sales yeah. meetings, uh, things where they take over a concert hall and do a big production to introduce a new product line or something like that. Right. You know, those, those meetings always have a panel discussion, and uh, in the panel discussion, you need a Dugan for that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, so obviously you licensed that kept licensing the technology while you had your own line as well, or did you take away the licenses yes. at some point in time, or or do you still license? No, I still license, and and I'm uh, negotiating new ones as we speak. Uh, I want it to be ubiquitous. Uh, there's no reason why anybody that you know everybody that mixes a bunch of voices should. Uh, should use automatic mixing. And right. um, the situation is complicated by the fact that the patents are expired. So there can be uh, imitations of Dugan automatic mixing, which I call my honorable imitators. And many of the uh, major console manufacturers have gone that route. Um, and I say more power to them, you know, it's, uh, I don't test them, I don't criticize them, I don't, you know, that would be, there's just too, it would be too much work and no pay to uh, be testing other people's automatic mixers. So I just say, if, you know, if you, if you get a, a Dugan brand or a Dugan license, that you know, that has my name on it, my logo on it, automatic mixer, then, you know, like Dolby, you know exactly what the process is. It's a, it's a defined process. And when you use other people's automatic mixers, uh, they probably work. Some of them are probably better than others, but um, I, I guarantee that you know the performance of my brand is insane. You know when it's licensed into Yamaha, licensed into sound devices, licensed into ProTech Audio, um, and uh, they all behave exactly the same when they have the the branding. Yeah, and how many patents over the year have you uh, been granted? Um, I've got three. I haven't been very aggressive about pursuing patents. It's a lot of work and yeah. I'm a one-man shop. So yeah. I don't have staff. I don't have staff that I can put to put to taking care of them. So so the the secret sauce is the fact that people trust what you're doing and the licensing as opposed to copying. And I think our industry has sort of developed into a little bit more of a gentleman's 
and ladies club than copying everyone, everything that everyone does. Although we do have some examples where a couple, a few different companies are suing each other constantly for, for copying uh, technology. Would you yeah, have a, I have a, go ahead. Yeah, I have one, uh, one imitator that's not honorable uh, that uses my name on like on their website to sort of imply that, uh, that I've licensed them, which I haven't. Uh, but most of the imitators are, you know, are, are honorable and, and are no problem for me. Yeah. And would you have imagined that we would be at a place, like when you were doing this in the late 60s, early 70s, would you have imagined that we'd be in a place now where we could place a microphone array in a room and digitally mix uh, and pick up audio from all around the room. Like, was that, did you have an epiphany in the middle of the night one night saying, I think I can figure out how to make this happen. And that was always sort of a thing in the back of your mind, or are you in awe as to what we, where we've come in this, you know, 40 year span? Well, uh, I was always aware that uh, a good market for automatic mixing was teleconferencing. And I actually sold, uh, some big Model D systems to uh, big corporate teleconferencing rooms. You know, big, not only one hot unit, but four big hot Dugan units, yeah. which had to be spaced apart with a ventilator panel between each one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was aware of the, the use in uh, teleconferencing and, and that it could be, a, you know, there could be two rooms talking to each other at, at either end too, or any combination thereof. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we can have a meeting like this. You're in California. I'm here in North Carolina. And we could have a meeting like this without video, but we could never have a meeting like this without audio. The audio is the key, right? If the video That's goes right. down, we That's could right. still have our meeting. Now, I know that yes. Yamaha licenses uh, your product and, and sound devices, and but you have other companies out there that are licensing the products. Um, out there uh, as well. Where else would we have seen? I mean, I've seen Dan Dugan branding all over the place, including many years at Infocom and ISCs in your own booth. But, but uh, where else? What other companies have worked with you over the years? Well, there's two others that you haven't mentioned. Um, there's Waves, the you know the plug-in manufacturer. Yep. Um, unfortunately, there are technical problems with doing the Dugan algorithm as a plug-in in the standard, you know, kind of Pro Tools plug-in way. Uh, there's intercommunication between the channels, which is not convenient, shall we say, yeah. in the plug-in environment. Um, though I think it's possible. I haven't been able to find a, find a programmer that I could convince to take the risk. Um, and um, so Waves licensed it and put it in a special environment that they call Waves Rack. And the Waves Rack, I think it's called Super Rack now. Uh, the Waves Super Rack um, has a 64-channel Dugan automatic mixer plug-in that you can put in that, and then you can use that as an external device for your computer to, you know. And you can also have all kinds of chains of, you know, of Waves plugins on there besides the Dugan automatic mixer. And what what are your favorite TV shows? Just out of curiosity, I know you've been busy designing products and technology for years, but when you sit down to watch TV, what are your favorite shows? What have the what have they been over the oh, years? Oh, I'm a I'm a I'm a news junkie, and okay. um, I'm listening to my product a lot of times on like you know presidential debates and mm -hmm. and um, 
all kinds of discussion panels. You know, Washington Week, for example, was an early adopter of Dugan technology. Yeah, that's that's cool. And then, what about your kids? They weren't interested in getting. You said you had you met you referenced the uh, kids when you were talking about uh, being able to pay for them to go to private school. Did any of them get into the AV business? Unfortunately, not. I haven't been able to get any of my kids to follow in my footsteps. Yeah, me either. <laughs> it's. A, I think they see our industry and they think it's cool, but they also see us work all the time. So I think it uh, it it definitely doesn't appeal to. The younger generation like it did to us uh sometimes but uh but i'm very proud of my kids i'm sure you are of yours i'll, I'll tell you i'm i am uh honored to have known you over the years um and to have uh been part of your product in one way or another by using it uh either intentionally or accidentally but also by covering your new product launches it shows it's been a great you've always what's great about going to you is you always educate me you always teach me what i'm about to what you're about to talk about, not just talk about speeds and feeds and features, you're talking about how the technology works. And that's, I think that's a, that's a testament to your engineering background and your understanding of how, if you can explain how something works to somebody, they'll appreciate it a lot more rather than just just uh, just buying it for for the brand. Um, but your brand is, is, is amazing. Congratulations on the Emmy, it's well-deserved. Um, you've done a fantastic job over the years, not only helping the industry, but also educating the industry on how to do things right. And I love your philosophy on that. And I really appreciate you joining me today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Gary. You always say such nice things about me. Well, I, I love talking to you. And, uh, and are, are you at a bench or is this your desk or is it both? Uh, it's my office desk. Your office desk. Okay. So you're you're doing design work and uh, and and working at the same time and uh, well, look uh, mostly, I, mostly I, emails <laughs> <laughs> nowadays mostly emails huh? that is the truth isn't it well look again thank you very much I appreciate it. I'm in awe, I'm in awe of the fact that I'm actually speaking to an Emmy award winning Dan Dugan you can check him out. Uh, by clicking on his name uh, in the description of this video cast, and it'll take you straight to his LinkedIn profile, connect with him, say hello, and you've probably used this product without even knowing it. And you've certainly heard it if you've been to shows and theaters and TV events over the years. Uh, he's going to be a, he's going to be awarded on the 22nd, I believe it is. Is it 22nd or 29th? Uh, 20, 29th, 29th. 29th. So in, a, in about a week, and you're going to be awarded with a a technical design Emmy for the lifetime uh, contributions to the television industry. Dan, thank you very much. And you have a great day. Thank you, Gary. Be well.